<laughs> this year, which will discuss some aspect of tshuva, is given in honor, in memory of Dr. Chuck Feldman by his children. Um, I just heard uh, Daniel wrote to me that his younger sister just had a baby. So it's always good. Babies are good, they bring joy. Uh, I wanted to look at the end of the Akedat Yitzchak. I know Akedat Yitzchak is usually connected to Rosh Hashanah, but it's not so clear why it is that we read Akedat Yitzchak on Rosh Hashanah and not on Yom Kippurim, uh, which is, might be seen as being more appropriate. But in any event, the end of the story of Akedat Yitzchak begins here in Pasuk Tet. So they came to the place. I mean, who came to the place? Abraham and Yitzchak and Ne'arav, the young, his young associates, who Rashi told us are Yishmael and Eliezer. Because Rashi gives them names based on the Medrash, of course, but this is a, this is a Rashi position that the people who are unnamed in stories, it's not because they don't exist or because they don't have names. It's because they see they don't have a real function in this story. And that's the story of, of uh, uh, Ishmael and Eliezer. Do you, you understand? There was Ishmael and Eliezer were vying for the inheritance of Avraham. They were vying for the, for the number one slot in the family. And uh, that came to an end in Akedat Yitzchak. And that is the story that's told when the Pasuk says, Shnei Na'arav Imo, and doesn't name them. It was they disappear. They disappear into the landscape. They're just, they're there. But they don't have a, they don't have a job. They don't have a purpose. They're just there. So, they all came, Abraham and Yitzchak, and two sons, two two Yishmael uh, and and Eliezer. Asher Marlo Halokim, Vayibin Sham Abraham at Amizbeach, and Abraham went and he built built an altar, Vayarochet Aitzim. And he spread out the, the wood, the trees, the wood that he had. Uh, Rashi says, and all the translations agree with Rashi, Vayakod is to tie up in a special way, your hands and your feet together. That's called an akedah. The amazing thing is that no one says anything. I mean, in the story. No one says anything. Yaakov, Abraham doesn't say anything. He just does it. And Yitzchak doesn't say anything. He just lets it happen to him. It's quite, quite remarkable. Right? So then, Vayishlach Abraham et Yado, Vayikach et Amachelet. So then the, the Pasuk says something that is seemingly irrelevant. Vayishlach Abraham et Yado. He reached out his arm, and then he took the ma'achel. It would be the same if the pasuk had written ba'ikachet ha'ma'achelet. But Rashi, as you remember, Rashi, I mean, maybe we'll look at the Rashi. 
Rashi is concerned about why the knife is called ma'achelet. It's a kind of a strange, uh, uh, a sort of a one-time use of a word, which is something that always bothers Rashi. Certainly in this case, when the ma'achelet plays such an important role in what's about to happen, I mean, it didn't happen, but it was about to happen. So he says that, so that's the, the, that's the end of the story. That's the end of the story of Abraham and Yitzchak. Yitzchak is tied up. He's on the, the, the wood, on the altar. Uh, Abraham has the machelet in his hand. Cut. That's the end of the story. The story comes there. Now just to fill in the end of the story, let's look at the Rashi. Rashi says, you tie the hands and feet together in the in back. If you tie the hands and feet together, I mean, it's hard to know how you do that with an animal. But you know, in those with a human being, you sort of, it's in back. You, you know, that's the way it's usually pictured. You tie in back. In the animals, you have to tie in the front. Says and then Rashi explains it further. Rashi explains it further. So now there we are. That's the end of the story. That's the end of the story of Abraham. Now there's another story, right? The second story begins in Pasuk Yud Aleph. Malach Hashem Min Malach Hashem. It's a new story. Because how did the story of Akedat Yitzchak begin, right? Who spoke to whom? Who spoke to whom? God, Elohim, spoke to Abraham, right? God spoke to Abraham. Suddenly, God is not in the picture anymore, but it's Malach. Vayikrai lav Malach Hashem min Now we know that this point has been raised by the Ramban on several occasions. That there's a difference apparently between God speaking, God speaking to man, and God sending a malach to speak to man. So in our lingo, we might say, might say there's a higher level of communication and a lower level of communication. But that doesn't mean that we actually understand what's happening. Why it is that, that this change, that this moment, at this particular moment, and Rashi notices that the Malach said, what did the Malach say? Malach said, Abraham, Abraham. What did Hashem say, Elohim, when he spoke to Abraham at the beginning of the story? Abraham, once, used the name once. Here, used the name twice. So, redundancy, you know, Rashi abhors redundancy. Not that he can always explain it, but he always abhors it. At least that's what I think. So what does Rashi say? Uh, what does Rashi say? Abraham, Abraham, l'shon chibahi, shekofel et shemo. When you say, I mean, we could, uh, uh, we could see it. It makes sense. Abraham, 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 that's like chibah. Uh, you know, appreciation, love, interest, 
ויקרא אליו מהלך השם מן השמיים ויאמר אברהם אברהם ויאמר הנני what is הנני? what is הנני? what does the word הנני always mean? not I am here that's silly if God is speaking to Adam Arishon in Gan Eden he doesn't make any sense to say to respond הנני yes it's me you know silly but what does הנני mean? הנני means I am ready Ready for what? Whatever the command is. I mean, Abraham Avinu understood that communication is about direction. It's not like a God you know, said, how's the family? You know, that that was the way of communication. But no, he named me. I'm ready. Which again indicates, which sort of indicates that Abraham Avinu knew that there would be a new directive. That there was something that happened. That's why he said, Hineni, I'm ready for the new directive. Ayobe Hineni Vayomer. The Malach says, I mean, that maybe we'll see why it's a Malach Hashem. Because to a certain extent, it looks like it's a contradiction. And God said this, and then God wanted to say something else, but it doesn't make sense for God to say one thing and then say the other thing, the opposite. So the Malach Hashem is said to say the opposite. Now, I don't mean that that logically makes it consistent. It just means it's noticed. It's noticed that there's a change that's going to take place. And maybe not. Maybe not even a change. So, The two first phrases. In other words, you've already put your arm out. You already have the knife in your hand. But keep it away, keep it away from this young man. Again, contradictory. Don't stretch out your hand against, your, against this young man. Equal to So of course Rashi is going to notice that. Right, right? He knows that, that the Malach, the Malach who, uh, who should be efficient, I mean, the Malach is not into drama or into uh, making a name for himself. You know, the Malach is just a good old Malach. So why would he say the same thing twice? Why, is the, why did he say so? Here Rashi tells us a story within the story. There's a story within the story that Rashi, that Rashi says. Altishlach, see the Rashi? You see the Rashi. Altishlach, Mishchot, Amarlo. So the Malach says, don't do it. So now Avram Avinu is not sure how closely connected the Malach Hashem and Elohim are at this moment. There was Elohim taught him, told him to sacrifice your son. And here comes the Malach, and the Malach says, Al tishlach yadchalanar, don't stretch out your hand against, against your son, which sounds like it's contradictory. So according to Rashi, Amalo, Avram says to the Malach, which is strange right in itself, like, you know, he's, he's arguing with him, and came lekan. So why am I, what am I doing here? I mean, why did I take the trip? Why did I build the altar? Why did I put up the, the, the trees? What's going on? I didn't come. There's no purpose to my coming. So I'm going to put to Rashi. 
comes up with this great idea. Maybe I will, I could take the knife and bl- produce a blemish. And we know that korbanot that have physical blemishes are not sacrificable. They can't be used. You have to get an animal that is in good shape. It even means even uh, to have a cut on your eyelid that would make the animal uh, un, uh, un, uh, uh, usable for a korban. So Rashi, as Rashi says, Avram Avinu said, okay, I'll, I'll make a little, a little wound in him. And so the Pasuk continues, Altas lo meuma, Altas bo mum, mum. You know that the Aleph in Hebrew doesn't really have a sound. It's a, it's a, a, a consonant that doesn't have a sound. Like bet is b, and gimel is g, and dalit is d, and Aleph is ah. It's just nothing. It's just like the nothing sound. Because all the other letters, sounds are made with your lips, with your teeth, with your tongue, with your throat. But the Aleph hasn't got a sound. It hasn't got a sound. Because it doesn't have a sound, it disappears. It disappears sometimes orthographically and other times in speech. It just disappears. So in Hebrew you have words like Tzon, Tzon Tzadi, Aleph, Nun, which means sheep, right? But if you don't hear the Aleph, it's not my fault. It just doesn't, you're just not there. And then you have like a word like Rosh. Rosh, Reish, Aleph, Shin. Now in the Yushalmi, which is a less edited version of the Talmud than the Bavli, which is more like straightened out. Very often the word Rosh is written Reish Vav Shin. And the reason it's written Reish Vav Shin is because it comes out the same. There's no difference between Reish Aleph Shin and Reish Vav Shin. Of course, you know, the word appears a lot of times in the Chumash, like Tzong, it's less likely to get corrupted. You know, as people look at the, at the Tanakh, or they look at the Chumash, and they know how words are spelled. So those words are less likely to be corrupted. So Rosh is more corruptible than Tzong. But the idea is the same. So now we have this word, Me'uma, right? Me'uma. But if you say it quickly, it turns out Muma. And so there's a drusha in Chazal as though the word was mum, a blesher, a blemish. Even though there's a, it's another word in Hebrew, but you know that, that the Chachamim did this all the time. They created alternate pronunciations and said it's included. It's also in there. So al-tazbol muma means do not make a blemish in this young man. So it's no longer redundant. means don't check them. The angel says, I'm not interested in your great ideas about what you might do. Forget about it. Right? 
Tirei Elokim Ata. Now I know that you fear God, or you're as they say, God fearing man. And you did not withhold your son, your only son. I mean, they're emphasizing the great effort it must have taken. Uh, okay. You see the Rashi? That's where we're up to. The Rashi and Pasuk Yudbet. Amar Rabbi Abba. Amar lo Abraham. I want to tell you what I'm thinking. Right? What, 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 what is the Yidi'ah? This is Rashi. Rashi, like he's good Rashi, right? He notices the words. Even if you, like we have difficulty with that. We're so happy if we can give a translation. You know, if you have an art scroll type translation, we're so happy that we understand it. Well, Rashi knew the art school translation and he was not happy. He was unhappy and he said, Kiatayadati. What do you mean, Kiatayadati? Who said that? Who said Atayadati? Why should the angel who is talking say Atayadati? Now I finally know something. So Rashi says, That it's really Abraham who is speaking to the angel who says I want to tell you something I want to tell you something yet last, last week you told me that Yitzchak is going to be the father of my descendants right by my Zerah then you went and said, take your son and sacrifice him. It's missing in the Rashi, but we can fill, fill it in. So here we have this the mystery of Akedat Yitzchak, right? First of all, it's, it, to us, the way we think about things, it's inconceivable that God would change God's mind, except in certain situations, right? And that situation usually has to do with punishment. If B'nai Yisrael are going to be punished, and somehow we can attribute some movement in the direction of tshuva to Am Yisrael, so then we all understand that the punishment doesn't always come. We know that especially on Yom HaKippurim, when annoyingly we read the entire book of Yonah, I say annoyingly because it happens to come out at a bad time of the day, and it's long. I mean, not long, long for a book of the Tanakh, but long for a Haftorah, right? Most Haftorahs are a chapter, and this is four chapters. Four chapters, 3.30 in the afternoon, Yom Kippurim, I can understand that you might be annoyed. But in the book of Yonah, in the book of Yonah, what happened was, that Yonah said, It's going to be overturned. The end will come. And the end did not come. Because they did tshuva. So that Yonah is the ultimate statement that tshuva trumps even God. Tshuva, I mean, it's really a, a remarkable idea. I mean, even though we're not learning Yonah right now, but you remember, it's the same as last year. 
And Yonah, Yonah proved to himself, at the first proved to himself by going to Ninveh, that tshuva was the key, was the key to protecting, defending Am Yisrael. And that was his job. And that's what he learned in Ninveh. His job was not necessarily to protect Ninveh. Even though the Ninveites, the Ninveites excelled in tshuva, right? The king, the people, the animals. The animals, you know that there is this idea that animals sometimes, you know, they hang around with people, like imitate people a little bit. So the animals all did tshuva. The animals in Ninveh, the tshuva was so much in the air. There was just no way to avoid it. It was tshuva city, you know, uh, Ninveh. And so the animals also joined in and did tshuva. And, and the indication was that tshuva is a great leveler. The king was not a king. And the officers were not officers. And the people were just people. Everybody was the same. Everybody was faced with the same catastrophe. They all became... They all became exactly the same. You couldn't pull rank. You couldn't say, Ninveh is going to be overturned, but I, the king, will sit here on my throne and nothing will happen to me. No. That's what Trump means when he says, we'll wipe out North Korea. He means, really, which is a wipe out that one guy who's annoying me. And uh, the one guy, he thinks that the 25 billion people will protect him. But this was not the case in Ninveh. This was not the case in Ninveh. So it says, Ki ataya datei. Vechazata v'amata kachna al-yericha. Achshav ata omer li, al tishlach yadcha el-anar. Amar lo ha-kodesh bochu. Okay, so you got a question. It's a good question. So amar lo ha-kodesh bochu. Lo achalel briti. Which says that God will be faithful to whatever He says. Take your son. That's the beginning of the pasuk. That you're going to have to do that. Lo amadi lecha shachtehu elahalehu. So this drasha and Rashi, unlike uh, the previous drasha. Right, gives a different idea. And here the idea is that it was Avram Avinu's mistake. God said, Ha'aleyu sham Olah, Put him up on the <coughs> altar as an Olah sacrifice. And Avram Avinu thought that that meant, Avram Avinu thought that that meant, I want you to sacrifice your son. And now Kodesh Baruch says, no, that's not what it meant. It meant just put him there on the altar. Of course, we don't understand exactly why. Why would HaKadosh Baruch say put him on the altar? I mean, what was the point? What was the point? As Rashi says that Avraham Avinu said, why did I come all this way? What am I doing here? What was the point? What, what, what was the point? Okay. Pasuk Yud Gimel. Pasuk Yud Gimel. Now, you know this Ayel. An ayel is a, a ram, usually. I don't know that much about rams. <coughs> but you, you can distinguish them by their horns or something, right? They have these big horns, and this ayel was stuck. It was like there. It was put there, right? The, the measure says 
that amongst the things, also the, 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 the Mishnah Pirkei Avot, amongst the things that were created Arab Shabbat, Mashot, right, Friday afternoon, was the ayah. This ayah. So somehow it was planned. It had to happen this way. The ayah had to have a, had to have a role. So look here, the Pasuk says, he stuck his horns are stuck by Yelech Avraham by Kachet Ha'ayim by Yaleu La'ola Tachet Bino. Pasuk Yud Gimel the Rashi. Hine Ayim. Muchana Yalech Achmishesh is Bebreshid. Rashi quotes. Right? It was always there. It was always Bechaz Basvach. It was just sitting there from the time of the creation until now. He says, Achar, Achrei, Shamalo, Hamalach, Altishlach Yadcha, Ra'al Shunechaz. After the Malach told him, Don't stretch out your arm to kill your son, he saw suddenly that the Ayel was stuck. Vulchimitarginan, Vizakaf Abraham, Enohi, Batar Elin. He lifted up his eyes and he, and he looked over there. He saw over there. Basvach, Ilan, Ilan is a, a tree, right? It was stuck in the, in the tree. Bikarnav, Shayarats, Eitzel, Avraham, Vasatan, Sovevo, Marbevo, Beilanot, Kedela, Akvo. All right. So there's a, you know, there's a Satan in the beginning of the story and the end of the story. We'll get into that. Tachat Beno, he sacrificed this ayil, Me'achash HaKatuv, Ve'ya'alehu Ola. Lo chaser amikraklum. Mahu tachat beno. What does it say instead of his son? Al kol avodasha sami menu hayamit palel va'omer yiratzon sheteizo ki ilu hi asuya bivini veke ilu benishachut ki ilu damozaruk ki ilu hu moshat ki ilu hu niktar then I said the shame. So this becomes the message, like a message of the story of Akirat Yitzchak. And the message is that you can't sacrifice a living person. You can't sacrifice a living person, even though, for some reason, it, it conceptually is necessary. We have to go back over the story. They say, when Hashem told Abraham, give me your son, slaughter your son, uh, 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 Give, make him an Olah sacrifice, it actually made sense to Avram Avinu. Was it made sense to Avram Avinu against Kierkegaard, for those of you who like that kind of tragedy? It made sense to Avram Avinu that what you have, the best of what you have, the only of what you had, Bincha, et Yechidicha, Asher Hafta. At Yitzchak, it's the best of the best of the best, more than anybody else, because anybody else who ever lived, who ever will live, because for Avram Avinu, the notion that it would all die with him could not be born, was unbearable, because he was, he was the, the one who carried the message of God. He's the only one, the only one in the world. Yishmael didn't get it, and Eliezer didn't get it, the only one who got it was Yitzchak. And Yitzchak 
about Yitzchak it says, Vayelchu Shneihem Yachdav. And Rashi says, just like Abraham was fulfilling the, 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 the divine command, Yitzchak understood that his father was doing so and he was with him. So it, even though it didn't make much sense, but it would seem from the story that Abraham Avinu was, was at peace with the idea that the best that you have, the, 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 the unique that you have, the only that you have, that's what you want to give to, what you want to give to HaKadosh Baruch And the story is, the story, the end of the story is with Rashi. And this idea is picked up by the Ramban in the beginning of Ayikra. But the story, according to Rashi, is human sacrifice is replaceable. It's not is replaceable. Its replacement is mandated. And all of that, all of that under this rubric of tshuva, under this rubric of tshuva, that every person, every person in order to, uh, to continue to live, from moment to moment has to understand as the people in Nineveh understood that there is a tshuva option and if tshuva is connected to giving up the best of the best giving away what you have that nobody else has we understand that that can only be done through a sacrifice and sacrifice sacrifice is is the the animal replacement for the human the human being in other words it, it, it's traumatic. It's a traumatic event. We understand that we really should do it, or we really have to do it, and we're doing something instead of what we should, should be doing. And that's the end. That's the end of the story. Uh, that's the end of the story uh, of, of Avram Avinu, as retold us, as retold us by Rashi. So it gets in there somehow. It gets in there, this idea that there is a... Uh, that there's a tshuva option, there's a tshuva option, and then eventually it gets to Nineveh, where there was no, they didn't sacrifice animals. Animals also did tshuva, right? So that Nineveh becomes a model that we can follow more easily today. I mean, we'll get to that, we'll get to that in a moment. Now, I want to tell you something else, something uh, that is uh, different. You see where it says, Masechet Yuma Dafayin Dalet Ovet Aleph, right? So there's a question in the Gemara. Let me just do this quickly. Uh, Yom Kippurim, the Mishnah says, Yom Kippurim asur b'achila v'shtiya. Now all the Rishonim agree that on Yom Kippurim it's forbidden to eat or to drink midoraita. Midoraita. There's a question in the Gemara about whether eating and drinking are two different things or that drinking and eating are really sort of the same. Uh, you can, you know, you don't need two different psukim or two different sources. In any event, from Achila, from this position that says Achila Ushtiya Asur Torah An Yom Kippurim, the Gemara asks this question. Well, it has to do with the Mishnah, but we're doing it just with a. We're just trying to remember the Mishnah by heart. So, what the Gemara says, the Gemara says, well, what about? Or the Mishnah says, and then Gemara explains, how about if you only ate, I mean, every time you eat something that is forbidden, right, you eat a piece of non-kosher meat. So you are not, 
punishable unless you ate a minimum amount. Right? The shear of achila is usually a kazayat. It's usually an olive. Uh, and now this, this shear is of course troublesome as everything is in the halacha. But it's like this much. You know, like, you know, Pesach, you're supposed to eat a certain amount of matzah. Whatever it is eating, it comes with an amount. Because there's an amount that if you know, uh, you know, if you have, uh, if you have uh, sons who go to yeshiva, when they come home on Pesach, it's a big problem. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, each of them has a different idea. They're very, you know, tough about how their idea is right and everybody else's idea is wrong. My policy was always that everybody else is right and I'll do whatever they say. But uh, uh, when you eat something that is achil of achila, or something that is forbidden for you, you have to eat a certain amount in order to be punishable. Well, what happens if you ate less than that amount? So less than that amount is called in the Gemara chatzi shiur, which doesn't mean a half. It just means less than. Less than the shear is called in Hebrew in the Gemara chatzi shiur. So what happens if you eat chatzi shiur? So there's a machloket emoraim. Rabbi Yochanan says, Chatzi Shiur, Asur Min HaTorah. Asur Min HaTorah. Lakish says, Oh no, Chatzi Shiur, Asur Mid Rabbanan. So effectively, there's no difference. Because you can't, you can't eat something that's strafe, even if it's less than a Shiur. Nevertheless, there is this machloket. Rabbi Yochanan says, Asur Min HaTorah. And Reish Lakish says, Asur So then the Gemara, of course, goes on and says, How come? What's this machloket based on? What is this machloket based on? So Rabbi Yochanan says these words, Chazi litzdarufe. Chazi litzdarufe. Chazi means you, it looks like. It, it is, you could able to, to uh, claim that it can connect. Like if you have less than a shear, of here, of you have less than a shear of salami, and you have less than a shear here of salami, and you eat the two less than a shears together. So of course you're doing something usher. That's what the, what Rabbi Yochanan said. So each one has got to be usher also, because you put them together, it's a big usher. So it must start out with a little usher. That's Rabbi Yochanan. The Reish Lokish, they said the Reish Lokish, what about you Reish Lokish? Well, how could you say that if you eat less than a, a kezayat of something that's strafe, you're out of the woods, it doesn't count. He says, well, the whole idea is eating. Eating has a definition. And the definition of eating is this amount. If you eat less than that amount, it's not called eating in the halacha. So that's the machloket, that's the machloket of the Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish. So remember, according to Rabbi Yochanan, chazay litzterufe, chazay litzterufe. So now, we saw the, uh, the I thought we would, we would, uh, it ended up, it was a, a sort of a mistake. I, I made a mistake, somebody made a mistake, of the, put this uh, pre-tzadik into the sheet. 
This pre-tzaddik I happen to have learned with Saul Orbach on Monday morning, but it was not my intention that it should be on the sheet. But since it's on the sheet, maybe we can make something of it. You know, like, uh, you know that story about Rabbi Yisrael Salanta? There's a wonderful story since we're talking about doing tshuva, right? Rabbi Yisrael Salanta was a great genius. And he had this idea that people should be more involved in Musa. Musa meant, um, I think, self-reflection. Like, how am I doing? How's, you know, was I a good person? Was I as good as I wanted to be? I mean, it's a little difficult to define, but, but I think that that's about as close to it as, as possible. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanta wanted to convince people in different yeshivot that they should study books about this topic. So the way he did it was, he would go to a yeshiva and he would get a, a chance to, uh, to speak, he would give a shear, and he dazzled the crowd, you know, because he was a, he was a genius. And then he'd say, and he'd learn Musa. So it would work, it wouldn't work, you know, but that was the method. So he went to the Mir. He went to the, to the Mir Yeshiva, which was in a town called Mir. And he, uh, he did that. So he came in one day and he put up Mar Eimekomot as, you know, visiting Rosh Yeshiva will want to do. So he put, I'm going to give a shear on this topic. And here are the sources that I'm going to use. So if you want to prepare for the shear, something that usually never happened in a yeshiva, but it was like formally a nice thing to do. So he puts up the Marimikomas and he goes home and he does whatever he does. He comes in the next day and he looks at the sheet and somebody who wanted to, didn't like the idea that he was selling Musar. You know, at the beginning there was this question about whether learning Musar was a waste of time you know, introspection. Amongst the people who thought it was a waste of time was Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, who thought that if you just say pshat in the Gemara, then everything is all right. But Rabbi Sosalata didn't agree. So he comes in the next day, he looks at the sheet, he puts it down, or somebody put it down on, on his stander where he was standing to give the shear. And he sees that all of his references were changed. And there was a list of references that didn't relate to anything. No reference related to the other reference. So Israel Salata took the sheet, I'm dramatizing. Like he looked at the sheet and he said, he just didn't say anything, he just looked at it for a couple of minutes. And then he started to give a brilliant shear based on the Marimakomo that meant they had nothing to do with each other. And of course the crowd was even more dazzled as a result. After he gave the shear, his, the person who went with him, you know, his, he says, I understand. He said to Rabbi Sur, I understand that you were able to take sources that had no connection to each other and create a brilliant uh, discourse. That part I understand. But when you were looking at that list, why did you wait a couple of minutes before you started? So Israel said, I was trying to clarify whether it indicated a lack of humility on my part, or whether the Musa was more important. It's a good story, no? It's a good story. Uh, fortunately or not, most people don't have the opportunity to express that kind of genius, but uh, you know, I guess that's good. I guess that's good. So, 
Can I, can I just ask a question like a Rashi? Like, how come it says, um, how come it says a Kodesh Barco? Which Rashi? In, in the Rashi for um, Katayadati. Kodesh Barco. Amalo Kodesh Barco. Is the Kodesh Barco and the Malach the same here? I guess. Okay. I guess. I mean, this is a medrash. He's quoting it from a medrash. So, so he doesn't necessarily agree. Because earlier he thought there were two different people. I mean, you could make an issue of it. I agree. Yeah. But I don't think, uh, may I, when I went through it first, I, I didn't think so. Okay. But maybe it is. Maybe you're right. It's, I mean, you're right that it should be made an I mean, issue of it. there are a few places just to, in. You know, it's all, it goes to uh, Moshe Rabbeinu in the snare. When Moshe Rabbeinu approached the snare, so first he hears from the Malach, yeah. and then he hears from God. And the Ramban there says that it's clearly uh, the experience changed. It was first seeing the experience of something strange, like the bush is burning, but is not being consumed. So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand what happened. But as he approached, he understood that it's God. And so it was no longer strange, but it was a different level of appreciation. And that's because the names of God changed in the story. So you may, I mean, if you want to apply that kind of rule to the Medrash, so I think you could, you could do that. I think you definitely could do that. So in any event, in any event I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to explain the mystery of uh, the mystery of Akedat Yitzchak. The mystery of Akedat Yitzchak is how could God say one thing and then somehow change and say something else? And Avram Avinu in Rashi points this out. He says it's not possible. It's not possible for me to have come here for no reason at all. I mean that's really what he's saying. He said there must be some purpose to, to coming here and to being here. So Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu uh, uh, was learning something about action. In the many places in the, in the Kabbalah and also in, in the Gemara, it says that a person acts with three faculties, with his mind, with his speech, and with his action. It says, when you say you do something, when you do something, it means that you've thought about it, you can express it, you could bring it into the world of expression, and you could actually do it. So if a person thinks, if a person thinks that he's going to rob a bank, he's not culpable, he's not chayev. not chayev for thinking a bad thing. And he's not chayef for saying a bad thing, unless what he says is itself also like Lush and horror. He's not chayef till he does it. Till he does it. Machshava, dibur, maaseh. That's what he needs. But this is usually a description of the terrestrial court. I mean, if you go to a Beit Din, and you say to the Beit Din, well, he, he said a terrible thing, or he thought a terrible thought, the Beit Din can't, can't apply itself to that problem. It, the only thing you could tell a Beit Din, the only thing you could tell a Beit Din is, 
he did it. Reuven did it to Shimon. If you say that, then the Beit Din can act upon it. But if you say Reuven thought about it, he even spoke about it, it's all, it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless for the, for the Beit, for the Beit Din. I mean, we've stretched this idea a little bit today, but I don't want to get into that. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, am the judge of whether you did it. Did what? Sacrificed your son. So what did Avram Avinu do? He accepted in his mind, right? He accepted in his mind that he would do it. How do we know that? Because he went. And then he accepted with his mouth that he was going to do it because he said to his son, Hashem Yir Eloi, that God will show us the animal to sacrifice. That's what he said with his mouth. And then finally with his hand, he stretched out his hand and he was about to shecht his son. So that was the ma'asad. That's why the apostle stresses that he stretched out his hand, that he was in position, that he already did it. And as far as heaven is concerned, as far as heaven is concerned, he did it. He did it. That's the, that's the point that the Malach says, you've done enough. You've done enough. You've done it. Because in heaven, in heaven there is no difference between having completed the action and starting the action. It's a kind of a chatzi shir uh, 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 situation. The chatzi shir of the said that Abraham Avinu did equals fulfilling the, uh, the promise that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made, him, made him promise. So now, what do we have from all of this? What do we have from all of this? You know that the Rambam, the Rambam and the Mor Nebuchim speaks, uh, at least according to, to some uh, commentators, speaks uh, liberally about sacrifice. He seems to say that sacrifices today in this day and age are not so important. And we can live without them. He seems to say that. Now I know that this is a at least that's what the Ramban thinks that the Ramban says. I don't think that that's entirely correct. I think that the Ramban thought, as everybody thinks, that somehow we get along without sacrifices, but that the sacrifices will be reinstated. The Ramban never thought that we should stop davening Musaf on Shabbos or on Yantin. The Ramban, in fact, says that when the Mashiach comes, he will reinstitute the korbanot in the Beit Hamikdash. The Rambam says it, not uh, not anybody else. So it's hard to admit. I don't think that the Ramban really thought that way. I think he thought he thought about it in a different way. So I think that uh, that since in the Torah, as we have pointed out in past years, that the that tshuva and sacrifice are connected to each other. In fact, the Gemara says that the Korban Tamid, 
the daily sacrifice given twice a day every day is a sacrifice that covers transgression. All of Am Yisrael seeks uh, to get uh, uh, to get kapara, to get atonement every single day of the year. And on Yom Kippurim, on Yom Kippurim, the atonement is a national kind of atonement. Everybody together, either as a nation, that would be sort of a Rav Kook idea, or another thing, if you could cleanse everybody in the nation, so you've cleansed, cleansed the nation, you've cleansed the nation as well. So that, that uh, what we learn, what we learn from, what we learn from Avram Avinu, I think in this, in this story, is that for heaven, a chatzi shear is good enough. In other words, if you're able, if you're able to do anything a little bit, if you're able to start it off, that will grant you a heavenly reprieve. Uh, if you're able, if you're just able to, as the Gemara says, if you just open up the eye, like a, the, the eye of a needle on tshuva, just think about it a little bit. I mean, it's, it's so daunting to us to imagine that we could change ourselves by doing tshuva. We, we just don't think about it too much, it seems to me. But if we understand that a chatzi shir of tshuva is everything, just a little bit, a little bit of tshuva is what brings us to where we're supposed to be. Because you see that everything was clarified for Avram Avinu. He knew who he was, he knew who his son was, he knew what the future would be like. It all took place without actually doing more than the chatzishir. Don't, don't send out your, uh, your arm towards your son. Don't, don't change everything in the world. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of tshuva will do, will do everything. Okay, have a good Shabbos.